this table shows a little line graph of like population growth and Greenland's going way down. It's been zero since 2011, but the trend is downwards. How does that even work? It's four years of data and it's been zero every time, but the trend is downwards. Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast with me, Chris Schreier, and my wonderful co-host, Mandy Murphy. Mandy, how are you doing today? Hey, Chris, I'm good, thanks. Uh, apologies for running a little bit late again today, but I'm doing all right. How are you? I am good. A little technical difficulties uh, on our end. Sometimes these things, they just... These computers that we use, you know, we think they are reliable, but uh, sometimes they mess with you. And we had that tonight, but we're all good. I've chided Mandy. She needs to be using Backblaze, a service I highly recommend. And uh, I expect she's going to sign up every computer in the left field uh, uh, repertoire onto Backblaze as soon as we finish this podcast. Is that accurate, Mandy? Would you say that? I'll see what I can do. (laughs) I'm not making any promises, that's for sure. Let's not get crazy. Hey, Mandy, you know what I had the other day? No, I don't, Chris. Why don't you tell me? This little beer. And uh, it actually, I didn't have one with a marshmallow chard on top of it, but I've heard it's pretty good with a chard marshmallow on top of it. This is, of course, your Sweet Jesus, which is a beer that makes you kind of want to say, you know, take the Lord's name in vain and say, Sweet Jesus. That's a good beer. (laughs) Where did you have the beer, Chris? Uh, I had it at the Roundhouse Craft Beer Festival. Oh, yeah, that's right. What, yeah. And I was I having technical difficulties with marshmallows at that point, or are you opted just not to have one? Uh, no marshmallow, no marshmallow. There were marshmallows around, but it was it seemed like a task to have it charred, so I just went with that. I also had it the day you were packaging it at the on the bottling line, because I apparently have a tendency to show up at breweries when beers I want to drink are getting packaged. Uh, unbeknownst to me, this is an effect that has been well documented uh, regularly at the Amsterdam Brewing Company, where I show up on Bone Shaker Day. Uh, showed up when you guys were packing, packaging Sweet Jesus. That was nice. And then actually today I took a couple of the staff members from Castor's Lounge and uh, we were hosted by the good folks at Great Lakes Brewing Company. And uh, in the course of the tour, we were, of course, near the canning line. And wouldn't you know, they were canning Lake Effect. So they grabbed a couple of the cans off the canning line before they got capped and crimped. So we were able to drink them out of the can like it was a glass. Or like it is a wide mouth can. Or a very wide mouth can, yeah. And it was very tasty. Yeah, it's as good as it gets, right off the line. That's ideal. So so what are you drinking right now, this fine, fine, sort of cold evening? This fine, cold evening, I'm drinking something quite fresh and summery. I'm drinking a, a sour ale, actually. Oh, is this the, the, the promised anniversary sour ale? Because, of course, happy anniversary. You guys recently just brewed your one-year batch. Thanks. Yeah, we did. We uh, That beer's not ready yet, so it's, it's not that. It's one of my, my final remaining bottles of our old sour ale with hibiscus. So. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, I'm having another lake effect because I also took a few that had been crimped because they travel better. Here's a little tip, kids. If you want your beer to travel well in the car, go for the cans that have lids on them. That's the one you want to travel with. You want to drink the one off the line with no lid, but get the one with the lid. Pretty much uh, the only legal way to transport alcohol, actually. Pretty sure you can't legally let it leave the brewery um, without the lid on it. So, And it would just splash. Like, there would be none left. It would splash all over the trunk of the car. There would be beer everywhere. Um, The blanket that we used to go on picnics it would be sodden 
and I would have no beer. So I'm going to have a little lake effect. And I got to tell you, have you had this batch of lake effect, Mandy? I have not. No. <sighs> this. I don't, I don't like to, to talk favorites in the wide world of beer. But obviously, Great Lakes does put out a number of really nice IPAs. This is this is a thing they do. It's sort of their their game. And uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of people, they go, they like the Karma Citra, obviously a popular beer. Thrust, a very popular IPA. But I don't know, I might have to give Lake Effect my nod for out of the the plethora of IPAs um, that Great Lakes does is, is possibly the one I would reach for the most frequently, I think. I haven't had that one in ages, but uh, my memory, if my memory of it serves well, it was, it was right up there. Mm. Oh yeah. I just had, just had my first sip of that can. I haven't had one since earlier today when I drank it off the canning line, but yeah, just, yeah, great balance. Like it's, it shows enough piney character. It's not all tropicals or floral. Like it's got some backbone to it. It's got some punch, but uh, with the way that you know IPAs ought to be, lots of late, late, late hop addi- addiction addictions. Let's say additions. Ooh, the and, slip of uh, the tongue. Oh yeah, that was well, not much of a uh, of a secret there. Um, but yeah, just big and 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 right in the face with with lots of good hoppiness. It's great, but it's not super bitter. It doesn't have that like sometimes you get IPAs and they're just a little too much. But something I've always uh, admired about your you guys your double IPA is that it doesn't come across as being sort of painfully bitter. It's very balanced, and I appreciate that. So it's great to hear. What's the uh, what's the ABV on Lake Effect? You know, I don't know, and it's one of those things. I don't think they actually put it on the tin. Let me just see. Oh no, they do seventy. If, Oh, sorry, ABV, not IBU. It's 70 AB. It's 70% alcohol, <laughs> and I'm going to die later. It is also 7% alcohol, funny enough. Um, so I could re-edit that and be like, oh, I just didn't see the decimal, and I thought it was 70%. Didn't think that. I thought you were asking what the IBU was, which they also list, which is 70. Okay. Which is strange. I wouldn't have thought it's that high. But yeah, it's 7%, which maybe explains why it hides the IBU well. Um, it does not drink hot, and it does not drink painfully bitter so happy days beautiful and really at seven percent 70 ibu this is i always talk about how with um i think we've even talked about this before uh in in style definitions if you were to draw a venn diagram of american pale ale and american ipa there would be like almost no circle on the outsides it's mostly overlap that that the the styles are so intertwined, and this would be kind of pushing IPA up into the double IPA category. Seven's still a little low, but seven seventy IBU that's approaching the realm of imperial or double IPAs, if you ask me. So, yeah, that's it's delicious. That's definitely on the high end. I'm curious. Do you know what the actual style guideline says? Mm, it depends on who you would ask, but I can look up really quickly here. The BJCP. Yeah, I've got it here. yeah 70. Is, it, in fact, is the, the very high end of the IBUs. 40 for to 70 IPA. is the range for American IPAs. Yes. And then do they have, does BJCP have Imperial? Is yeah, they do. Style? They do. They do. All right. and, so that's and six, what is it rate? 60 to 120. There, there you go. So it is. It's if, again, if you were to do the Venn diagram, this one would be in that space in the middle. So... But I would definitely, based on the way it drinks, call it more of an IPA. I think that uh, double IPAs should have more alcohol and malt character. And, and IPAs should, American IPAs should, the focus should be mainly on hops. So, and it does that. So happy days. What, uh, what have you been up to recently? I've had a, I had a good weekend. I was at the only cafe, um, 
Craft Beer Winter Festival, which you were not at. I only saw Austin there. I was no, too. No we must have missed you. I was there. Uh, yeah, maybe later. Saturday evening. Yeah. What time did you get there? I think I left at about nine. I think I got there around that time. Maybe no, ships, I was there a little earlier night. than that. I might have left a little earlier than that. I'm a little. The problem I have this thing. The only cafe is like a bit of a weird time vortex, where you can go into one of those festivals, and drink. Not a stupid amount of alcohol, but, you know, a healthy amount of alcohol. And find yourself only 40 minutes later when you thought it was actually three hours later. Um, that can be a problem. Have you experienced this? Yeah, I was just about to say, I, th I think the same sort of thing happened happened to me. I really I have no recollection of what time I arrived or what time I left. So so you were not... blackout drunk when you got there? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all, but... Uh... I, I don't know why. I really had no concept of time Saturday evening. I guess I had nowhere specific. I needed to be at a specific time, so I just let loose. That's a good place to be. Yeah. And then, I went uh, from there over to the Grover for the uh, the Muddy York one-year anniversary party. Very oh, good time. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's good. They're oh, so lovely, aren't they? The Muddy York guys, Jeff and all. But uh, And the Grover's great. I, I'm loving it. You guys are on at the Grover, right? Yeah, it's, it's a really good spot. It's uh, really changed quite a lot over the past couple of years from the uh, the hard work of Sarah and Jason, so it's great. It's fantastic, yeah. I, I have nothing but good things to say about the Grover frequently. Uh, so the Grover is a walk from my house, an easy walk from my house. Uh, I think the only bar closer to my house that you could coerce me, and you wouldn't have to coerce me to go. The only other bar that I would elect to go to that's an easy walk from my house is, uh, is the Feathers. And then there are a few, obviously, down the hill like Castro's, where I gladly make the walk, but it's a bit more of an effort. But Feathers and Grover are crawling distance, is how I'd describe them from my house. So, love those places. Yeah, I agree. After, uh, after the Only Fest, we moseyed on over to the Wren. Oh, beautiful. Uh, love there. It was packed, as usual. And sat down, had some food. Had some drinks. It was a good night. So I've been to the Wren a couple of times. I've never actually eaten at the Wren. Come on. But I've been told that like, that's I mean, they do really good beer. But it's like the food is the food is the the reason to go. Like yeah, the yeah. beer is great and all, and the the vibe is fantastic, and they have the the best people in town. But the food is the reason you you go to the Wren. You need you need to eat there. You must eat there. This is what I've heard. How are they for the uh, less than uh, meat consuming uh, Ton, folks? Tons of options. Tons of oh, options. Cool. I often choose some of their veggie meals and I'm I am a meat eater, but I will often choose some of their veggie meals just because they're so fantastic and delicious. Nice. Yeah, you, you must try. It's so good. The brunch is fantastic as well. I don't know. Oh, brunch. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a dirty hipster, but I don't know about brunch. Oh, it's so good. I bet it's good. I just don't know if I would necessarily. You know, here's the problem with the brunch for me. Brunch is Saturday or Sunday. And Sunday doesn't work because I'm at church. And Saturday doesn't work because it's really hard to peel myself off the couch before about 1 p.m. Because me and the kids, we just kick it. It's great. Saturday is like the lazy watch videos, play video games, schlep around the house. Brunch? Why would I go out when I can just sit with my kids and drink tea? Yeah, I hear you. But even if you're looking for somewhere to go in the afternoon and you're kind of feeling hungry around lunchtime and you want to take the kids somewhere, mm. they're very family friendly. I think the brunch goes till three. -ish. I was about to say, actually, my, yeah. my, my defense just fell apart because I, I know most places, I think, do brunch until about three. So Yeah, you got to go. It's so great. Well, fair enough. All right. Um, what else has been happening? You have anything else cool in the past two weeks? My head is spinning because we have so much cool in the past two weeks. I can't even remember what we spoke about last, but I feel like so much has happened since we last spoke. 
um, celebrate. We're, we are, I guess, sort of celebrating our anniversary throughout the month. Um, we've really taken advantage of some of the new legislation we talked about in the last episode. Are you guys uh, opening at nine now? Rico, I know you're not. We're not. No, I'm going to save that you for a fancy yeah. summer surprise maybe one day. Ooh. Surprise, long weekend. We're open at nine, maybe. Wait a minute. What other? Oh, <laughs> the le- other legislation is the stuff you can sell in the retail shop, right? Yeah, totally. So we've partnered with the Pantry, which is a local cheese shop at Gerard and Coxwell. Um, and we are, I guess, a, a small outpost for some of their cheese sales now. So that's you can fantastic. come into the brewery, you can pick up some cheese that's perfectly paired with either Ephus or Maris, take it home and enjoy, or you can eat it, eat it right there at the brewery while you hang out and drink your beer. Um, we've added some chips to the roster, so we're getting our snack game on. We have more more snacks coming. You do Neil Brothers? We are, yeah. The, Neil Brothers, I don't know if I've seen Neil Brothers for sale anywhere other than breweries. I have to assume they are out there. But my gosh, they are like the brewer's friend when it comes to potato chips. They are. It's a it's a small company. Um, they're that's is... not a knock, by the way, Neil Brothers. If you're listening, I think that's great. You know I what? Just... It, I think it comes from the festival angle because I always see them sampling at festivals, and mm. they end up sampling at many of the same festivals that we pour at. And so I think that's how they build relationships with the breweries. Um, yeah. I actually, when we were talking, uh, not when we were talking, you and I, when I was in conversation a while back about the Burlington Beer Fest, I was, me and a buddy were just kind of spitballing some ideas for like, well, because they wanted some sort of involvement if I could make it out. It didn't end up working out that I could get out. But one of the ideas that I came up with, because I don't feel that I bring too much to the table personally, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if I like partnered with Neil Brothers and we had a bunch of different chips and then what people could do would be come up and they'd be like, well, this is what I'm drinking. And I'd be like, well, you should try this potato chip with that beer and like intentionally pairing different potato chips with beer. I thought that would be a fantastic festival idea. Yeah, that is a great idea. They they were going to be there anyway, right? At the festival? I don't think they were at Burlington. Oh. So I was going to I was going to invite them along because I had yeah. a bit of a bit of a buy. But but again, didn't work out. But hey, if anybody from Neil Brothers is listening you find me and we'll talk because I would love to be your what beer you should drink with that potato chip guy. I know a lot about beer and chips. I love potatoes. They have some pretty great and interesting flavors as well. So it, that'd, do, be, yeah. that'd be cool. It'd be actually a, a pairing challenge. I think we haven't even gone so far as to taste through all their chips. The ones that we're selling in our very own shop, we haven't even gone through the exercise of tasting them beside all of our beers to figure out what pairs with what. Um, so we're a little bit behind on that, but maybe our customers can tell us what they, they like and don't like together. We've, we're selling a heck of a lot of chips. It's pretty crazy. Can I just say, I did get given some lake effect at, at, at Great Lakes today, but aside from that, all this marketing stuff, Backblaze, Neil Brothers, this is, this is just because we actually like these things. We're not actually a sponsored thing at all. These are just things that we enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that. We should, uh. We should maybe be approaching people for some sponsorship. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys want a listeners. podcast that has viewers or listeners in the dozens? <laughs> <laughs> do you know how one of the best work? Do you want to know what uh, podcasts measure their marketing in? It's called CPM. That's clicks per mil or clicks per thousand. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. That is funny. <laughs> if anybody from any of the aforementioned companies wants to give us anything, even if it's just a bag of chips. I will say your name 10 times, I promise. I've no word of a lie. I've received much, much worse requests from people wanting sponsorship for 
much, oh, much less relevant oh, Let's talk about that for a minute. On, on a this will actually basis. sort of lead in a little bit maybe to what we're going to talk about in a minute. But go ahead and throw down some of your, not horror stories, but bad stories. Because I don't know if people listening appreciate this, but if you were at a brewery, you get some of the most bold-faced, shameless requests in the world. I don't throw fa- throw one out if you want. I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily fault these people because I also sort of live by the the mantra like if you don't ask, you you can't get. So right. good on them for asking for free stuff. But the but amount get of times your head out of the sand, kid. The amount of times I need to say no to people for their requests for free things in a day, it it's countless and it, it's pretty crazy the amount of emails you actually get asking for free things. So. Every week, I'll get a few emails asking for free beer or sponsorship for a stag and doe. Right. Um, frat parties? You ever get frat parties? No, I don't know that they really are. I don't know. We don't see a lot of that, I don't think, in this area or with our target audience. Yeah, maybe. I, guess. I, guess. I can see that, I guess. Uh, a lot of stag and does, a lot of like individual sponsorship type things where somebody's running in a race or cycling in a race. And they want us to sponsor them. That happens all the time. Um, That's, I, I could see that a little bit more. It's just the, the frequency of them and the volume in which I receive them is what, sure. is what makes it kind of nutty. Like the individual requests aren't actually all that bad usually. Um, many of them are for very good and worthy charitable causes. Mm. Um, well, as an aside, what yeah. I was more hitting on was I know some people... Uh, in other breweries who get requests where, and I'm obviously going to adopt an affectation here, but I think it's accurate. Hey, dude, uh, we're throwing this wicked party, man. And like, there's going to be easily like 60 to 70 people there, bro. We're going to drink some serious beer. And if you give us a keg of your beer, like, dude, can you think of that exposure? That is like 60 to 70 people who are going to get to drink your beer, man. And that's like, you can't buy that kind of exposure, man. So, like, could you just hook us up with that for free and maybe, like, a jockey box and a gas cylinder and probably some glassware? <laughs> it's like, um, no, I'm pretty sure I could reach 60 to 70 people for free without giving away any beer. So, thanks, brah, but why don't you guys hit up a different company? Yeah, that's, I feel like we get a bit of stuff in that direction, but not not quite that, not quite that far. Um, they'll usually sell sell themselves to us a little bit more and like how trendy they are and how much of a, a trendsetter they are and their reach like they like to tell me about their reach on Instagram, on Instagram? Uh, of <laughs> course Twitter. they did because they read about that in the paper uh, <laughs> oh I've got 2,000 followers on Instagram you should give me some free shit yeah so I just have a g- pretty generic no email um I'll often send actually fairly heartfelt emails but if it's a worthy cause but uh, and we'll support any causes we're able to, but more often than not, it's just like every, on my daily list of things to do um, is quite literally an item that says, tell everybody no. <laughs> <laughs> is that in Mark's handwriting? <laughs> no, 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 it's mine. Actually, he was going through I, my... I could see the accountant being like, I'm not signing that check. <laughs> he was going through my to-do list with me the other day and he just laughed out loud. He's like, what does this mean? Tell everybody no. And I was like, well, I have to do it every day, so... I... One I think it's pretty self-explanatory, Mark. <laughs> I need to tell everybody no. Uh, what I had suggested we were going to talk about, and you said you could talk all night, but you don't have all night. <laughs> we're going to have to cut to the chase. Was going to be talking, and, and I was going to try and um, 
divert into it off of charitable giving, but I think I'm just going to hit the reset button. We're going to move into another topic. And I'll tell you a little story. I was, I was meeting with some people today. I'm going to keep them nameless. It's not bad or anything. I just didn't say, hey, can I retell this story on the podcast? So a couple of people, and we were talking about... Um, one of them was from the West Coast and was considering some business opportunities with some Ontario brewers, um, and particularly um, a contract brewer or two. And he asked me, because he valued my input, I guess, what's, what's the perception with contract brewers? Because in BC, contract brewing isn't apparently allowed. You can't actually do it. And really? so, yeah, this is, this, I had no idea. Like, I, I confess I don't know everything about beer, but I, I thought I had a handle on that. But he said, no, you can't do it. Calgary and Alberta, you can't contract brew the way that you can in Ontario. But of course you can in the States and in the States, in a lot of places, in a lot of situations, being a contract brewer has a real stigma attached to it. Um, and we, I think it's fair to say, don't have that so much in Ontario, but we are blessed with having Mrs. Murphy who spent two years or so as a contract brewer. Yeah. Almost exactly two years. And I think, I think, did we talk about this before that I think you're the only brewery to, to fully make the jump from contract to bricks and mortar. I was thinking about that earlier. I'm not sure. Actually, we, it's something we should check. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure that that's is, true. Kensington's building. They've got like a roof on walls and they're, they're well stuck in and uh, junction junction still does. I think contract some stuff. Um, and Radical Road's talking about building on Queen, but they haven't yet. I can't think of any others. Anyone out in the Ottawa area? I don't know. Well, uh, well, Bose technically contract brewed it for for a little while at, at Church Key because their brew house was stuck in <laughs> duty and import hell. But once it got out, they... So I guess they their business plan wasn't to start as a contract brewery and, and morph into bricks and mortar they they'd intended on being bricks and mortar from day one so yeah i don't know i'm not sure either i don't know anyway let's not get sidetracked on that minutiae uh you were a contract brewer you and mark and and it was just you two at that point right you didn't have a f- well originally for year I, I guess year one was just mark it was just mark yeah you were still working a full-time job so and then year two was the two of us so yeah so as somebody who was a contract brewer, I know we've actually talked a little bit about the fact that like it's a bit of a it's a bit of a scarlet letter almost where people still ask you about where you brew and you're like right here that's the brewery right right there those tanks that's <laughs> but, them but, but that's, where is all this made <laughs> right there in those big silver things <laughs> like, all of it yeah, yeah, that's all, not window dressing yeah. <laughs> but before that. Did you did you find anything any any stigma any judgmentalism based on being a contract brewer? Generally no, but I believe that it existed and we just didn't hear it or see it directly. Um, you get a little bit of that pushback in the licensee market from certain accounts mm-hmm. and types of accounts, but it certainly isn't overly prevalent. Like most of the time licensee partners are just looking for great beer at the right price that they feel that they can move like beer that their their customers are looking for mm-hmm. uh, so i feel in some ways we were providing that even even though it was contract brewed um 
And that, that was the feedback that we got where we were successful and we were in a situation for a good two and a half years where we, we couldn't make enough beer to keep up with demand. So if the stigma existed and prevented us from making any sales, we would just sort of move along to the next person. It, it wasn't as though there was a, a limit of, it, w- it wasn't as though we were limited in terms of where we could sell beer. We didn't have enough beer to go around. Um, it was a good problem to have, as they like to say. Um, and then from peers in the industry, we didn't really feel any of that. No, didn't really. I, I believe it existed and that we just didn't, we didn't hear about it or see it. Um, and then certainly not from the, the consumer. I, I never once heard or saw any stigma from the consumer from our perspective. But I, I feel as though that may be changing a little bit. And it's perhaps just only because I'm on the other side of it now. It's, it's mm. sort of hard to describe. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Do you think there's a, a stigma in Ontario around contract brewers? <clears throat> well, in the conversation I was having that kind of sparked this idea, I talked about how it can be really difficult. And again, I feel like I've said this like four times in this episode, but we've probably mentioned this before, but it can be really easy to forget that in some ways we're in a really small bubble. If you are, odds are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're part of it. You're in that bubble. Um, the the really uber geeky craft beer community, it's pretty small. And so it's hard to remember that sort of things that can feel really prevalent or really real often might only apply to like, like a hundredth or thousandth of the beer drinking population in the city. Um, so within that, I think there is judgmentalism from people who would identify themselves as being pretty forefront beer drinking folk and, and not industry people, but like consumers that, um, they're not against the, the actual principle of contract brewing, but I think contract brewers have a, a bigger, bigger hurdle to get over um, to win uh, those people than a, a bricks and mortar brewery. Um, to the point where without pointing any fingers, cause you know what I like to say, somebody's gonna get poked. I know of some people who've praised some products for, from some bricks and mortars breweries that did not deserve praise. And maybe not quite simultaneously, but certainly in the same sort of era of life have also criticized contract brews that didn't deserve the criticism they gave. And I can only imagine that there's a bit of a prejudice <laughs> at work there. So within our very tight niche, I think, yeah, contract breweries um, do get stigmatized a bit. That said, that represents this tiny percentage of the beer drinking population. Um, if you take everybody in the province who drinks beer, you probably need to remember that 70, 75, maybe 80% of them really don't care and just want to drink something cold and yellow that has minimal flavor. I'd, uh, I'd argue that number's even higher, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I might be being a little optimistic with that number. Like but 90, yeah. 95% of people. It would be interesting to actually try and cook the numbers between the beer store and the LCBO and of course now grocery stores, we've got to include them. Thank God. But I mean, the LCBO beer sales, I thought craft was pushing the 30% mark and then LCBO represents. Oh, I don't know that it's that high. 
Really? I thought LCBO was getting into the 30s for non-mainline brands. And that has a lot to do with what they choose to stock. And then the LCBO represents like 25-30% of the total beer market in Ontario, which just right there, well, yeah, that would put it exactly where you say, which would be in the 90s. And then whatever you're getting at the beer store. And then obviously that discounts licensee sales as well. It's, I think craft share it's a and the hard beer, number to nail down. I think craft share in the beer store is like, I might be wrong, but two or three percent. And that's where the majority of beer in Ontario is sold. Yeah. No, you're I don't know about the two or three percent. I thought it was a bit higher than that, but you're <laughs> absolutely right. And people lose track of that. The beer store still does represent like the vast majority of uh, take home beer sales in the province. Um Anyway, so we, we got sidetracked there, but let, let's call it, could, could we split the difference and call it 90% of the beer drinking public uh, really don't care about the difference between a craft and contract and non-contract craft and macro brewery. They just want something cold and yellow. So you're really only talking about sort of 10% of the population that would even care to differentiate. And I think in a lot of that, and, and and there are beers being launched right now that are contract beers that are showing early successes that would demonstrate that people don't care that they're contract brewed. They're even they're not quite open about it, but they're certainly not trying to claim this is our brewery. You know, that the, they're they're marketing a beer. It doesn't really matter where it's made. And I think more and more. I don't think the tendency of growth is that people are moving to the far geeky side of the spectrum. I think they're just moving into the, I like things that taste different and they're not too fussed where it's made. So I don't think that, that contract brewers are going to be that stigmatized going forward. And I, I definitely don't think they are right now. I think, I think I agree with you, uh, except I, I'm not, I'm not ready to agree on the 90% number. I'm going to still stick with 95 because I think let's say 10% of people really care about 10% of beer drinkers really care about craft beer. Um, I would say even probably less than half of that, half of them even know the difference between a contract brood and non-contract brood. Mm, that, I, I agree with that. That's what I'm saying. Okay. If you, if you say 90% of the people who drink beer in Ontario don't care, they don't know, like they just want cold yellow beer that left over 10%. It would be a lot less than half that would be in that ca that camp of, you know, kind of prejudging a beer based on whether it's contract or, or bricks and mortar. Yes. OK, I agree. Yeah. Decimal percentage, I would put it in. Yes. OK, we're, we're yeah. saying the same thing. So that's good. Yeah. Um, Glad we didn't have to come to fisticuffs over that. Yeah, no kidding. So especially because we're not physically um, near each other right now. <laughs> yeah, be that'd, be, that'd be really awkward. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> like, Mandy, I'm going to be over in 15 <laughs> minutes and I'm going to kick your ass. If you get hit, it's your own fault. Um, the worst part about this punch is how much time you're going to have to think about how much it's going to hurt. <laughs> uh, I was just trying to look up some of these share numbers, but I can't find them. So let's just move along on the contract yeah, brewing right. thing. So more, uh, more on contract brewing. Um, starting it up. I know you guys obviously got in the game uh, in a bit of a different environment because right now everybody who has $15,000 and an idea is thinking about starting up a contract brewery. But like, how difficult was it to... to actually start as a contract brewer. I know you had the benefit of having a, uh, a business partner who is an accomplished brewer, so you had a successful recipe waiting to go, but but what, what were some of the difficulties? Well, at the time, Mark wasn't an accomplished brewer, not to, to downplay that at all, but he had been to brewing school for two years and had spent a year working in the industry, um, so there's, there's, still, there's still a ton to learn. 
Um, but he did have a good recipe, that's for sure. And mm-hmm. I could tell you it was a heck of a lot more than $15,000 to get started. Uh, we opted to purchase and own our own keg float to get started, and not all breweries go in that direction. You can mm. buy into the, the beer store keg float if you so desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't the direction we went in because we, we knew we ultimately wanted to have our own brewery and there are benefits to sort of having your own float. I thought you could almost even just pay per use the beer store, yeah, like a rental right. fee. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, but we didn't want to deal with them. So we chose to do, do it ourselves. Uh, and then there are many other startup costs. Like if you, depending on where you contract brew, you may or may not need to do your own distribution. Uh, if you need to do your own distribution, you need a van of some sort. A truck or a van, or a uh, helicopter, or a helicopter, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Maybe a, a tugboat. I have no idea how you're getting your beer to your accounts, but um, you probably need a way to get it there. And with some contract breweries, they will take care of that service for you, and others will not. But at the end of the day, like many will say, that a contract brewery is a, it's really a marketing and distribution company. Uh, and that's more or less the way that it tends to, and I'm really generalizing here, but that's more or less the way it tends to work in Ontario right now. I don't, I don't see, and maybe it's just that I'm not seeing them, but I don't see a lot of examples where a contract brewer is a brewer who's actually there at the host brewery having a lot of say or control in how the beer is made. Mm-hmm. And being on the other side of it and seeing day to day the amount of care and attention that goes into an in-process beer throughout the fermentation and aging or conditioning of that beer, right through to packaging, there are a million decisions that get made with every batch of beer. And so it really makes me wonder, like, who, who is making so many of these decisions for our beer? Uh, and how were those decisions being made back in the days when it was when it was being done under contract? Like, yeah, sure, we had specs that needed to be met, but there were just so many things that, that go on throughout the course of a fermentation, like aging and conditioning cycle for every single beer that, I don't know, it's scary to look back and think, oh my God, all of that was out of our hands. It's interesting because um, I, I've... I've actually had a conversation along these lines with a couple of different people, but one that really stood out to me was with Kevin Freer, who's um, with is it Four Fathers Brewing. Um, I want to get that name right because because they're brand new and God bless them. Yeah, Four Fathers Brewing Company. Um, he used to work with Welly and was actually directly involved. Welly is a well-known uh, contract brewer. They do a lot of uh, the province's contract brewing along with Cool, as per our hilarious joke a few episodes ago, and, uh, and a couple of others. And I remember I made a comment, I think, on Facebook um, along the lines of, you know, the contract brewers, the, the people at the brewery are just, you know, it's easy money. They're just kind of doing it. And he, he said that he actually was more worried about a lot of the contract brews that he was overseeing because if the client didn't like it, that was going to be a really, really big problem. Like it would be a big problem if one of the welly batches was off that, that you can't just throw that stuff away, but that for him personally, it would have been a much bigger issue if the client, the contract brewery had come and said, no, this isn't okay. Like this needs, 
basically you dropped the ball and we're paying you guys money to do this. And so it was interesting because I didn't, I personally had virtually no experience uh, looking at things from that side of the ball, but he said that it was, it was stressful and, and, and that they really treated it with a lot of care. And like you say, it isn't just a matter of make the beer on the day when the person from the contract brewery is there watching, but it's like this very involved day-to-day ongoing process where decisions need to be made on the fly, and and they can be game-changing decisions. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. Um, I think it's fair to say that despite that, and, and I know he wasn't you know speaking untruthfully, I think it's probably fair to say there are probably some contract brews that get maybe a bit <laughs> less love and attention and some that get that much and maybe more. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting question because like you say, you're leaving a lot. It's a bit like putting your kid in daycare. <laughs> like you drop the kid off and then you leave and you know, you've done your research and you've seen how they take care of kids, but those day-to-day moment-to-moment decisions you're giving that up to somebody else that's a pretty big commitment that's a big release i guess as it were of of uh of control and like a giving of trust yeah i it totally is it's a that's that's the biggest i guess drawback just looking at it from the business side of things and being on the brewery side of things it's you give up control in almost every area of your business um especially if you're opting for the scenario where the distribution is handled by your contract site mm-hmm. um like really in that case you are probably the person with a recipe you may have some involvement in the actual brew day uh and then you are responsible for sales and marketing and then obviously taking care of your own financials but you're really like you don't have every touch point with your own customer nor do you have every touch point in your own uh your own manufacturing process and those are like key key elements of your business so you have to be willing to give up a great deal of control um which as far as i'm concerned it's it's pretty scary um but we we did it we've been there and now i can i can say that from sort of being on both sides of it and you give up a lot of control not only around that but around scheduling of your beer what to what degree does your brew take priority over other beers? Like if if something, there's a there's a lot of scheduling that goes on in a production brewery. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a depending on the size of your brewery, it's a full time job and a half, or it's a department. Like it's a very very large role of scheduling, um, it, because it's manufacturing, and so there are lots of ingredients that need to get combined to make a product, as well as all of the packaging components. Um, when you're us and you're contract canning at, at your site, like there are just so many things that need to be scheduled. You need to schedule people and ingredients and places and things. And it, it's kind of chaotic. So you give up a lot of control around scheduling. And if something is to go wrong, uh, it's really the scheduler's responsibility to move everything around so that it all fits. Well, to what degree does a contract brewed beer take priority in a schedule when a host brewery needs to needs to make up one of their own brews. Mm. We ran into that a couple of times and it was very challenging. Like you have to go back to your customer and say, sorry, I have no beer for you. Like that tap that you just gave me, that was supposed to be a full-time EFIS tap. 
I actually have no EFIS to put on it. So I guess you'll have to get it from some other brewery. Be back in a few weeks. Like, it, yeah. just, it just doesn't work well. It's not what the customer wants to hear. So you give up control from that aspect. You give up control around your packaging, around a, a lot of things. Uh, and that, that's certainly one of the largest downfalls. How difficult was it? And I know you, you guys planned from day one that you would contract for a while and then move into a full-time bricks and mortar. And that's certainly not the plan for a lot of people who contract brew in the province. A lot of them, I think their, their end game is continuing to contract brew or buy out. Um, but, I mean, compared to when you guys both had full-time jobs not making left-field beer and you were writing ideas down at night over a glass of beer... How how much more difficult, or what challenges? What what was the hard parts of actually flipping the switch? Um, and I, okay, and so I know that there's going to be a host of things about the building, like oh well, we had to do this and this, and we didn't know that. But like, was that it, or were there like what are the difficulties of making that transition? Uh, the broadest categories, I would say, around financing, dealing mm. with the banks is just challenging in general. Um, and only getting worse <laughs> and only getting worse. It was, it was, it was extremely challenging. If I had to pick one thing that was the, and I suck at picking one thing, you know, I like to make <laughs> lists of three when you ask me to pick one. Um, I it's would true. choose, I would choose that. Uh, so far the, off to a good start, you've only picked yeah. one right now, <laughs> but to add to that, uh, I will okay. say as secondary challenges, uh, the municipal red tape that exists in the city of Toronto. Oh, is, and you're blessed with such a helpful counselor. Uh, it it really just like it makes your head spin, and it, it's it's <laughs> challenging. It's expensive, and it's time consuming, and it's slow. Uh, it's bureaucratic. It's just blah. It, it's not fun. Yeah. Uh, we got through it, but it it was not easy. Those would be the two big ones. Can I tell you a story that might? It's not going to infuriate you because I know how much you love her. God love her. But uh, Christmas Day, I think I talked about this in a past one, but I, I we go to the church and, and they do a big luncheon. And uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful time. And Mary Margaret comes down with her family to help serve uh, some of the meals, which is nice. Like, it's good to be involved, and especially Christmas Day. Like, it's a day when you shouldn't have to politic, but she's still, well, I guess because it's not politicking. She believes in what we're doing, and, and that's nice. So she came down. But uh, I was serving uh, beer and wine, and she wandered over, and got we got chatting. And I'd even, I would even said in the context of the conversation, she was asking me a bit about the beers and stuff. And... Uh, I said, oh, yeah, I work with Castro's Lounge, which got a bit of a look because we're not high on her friendly list right now because we cause a lot of trouble. <laughs> but uh, but I said, oh, we have we have friends in common. I'm, I'm friends with Mark and Mandy Murphy. And she was like, oh, that's great. And was like praising you guys and stuff. And I was relaying how happy the community at, at large was of the help that she'd given you guys and stuff. And she said, she goes, oh, have you, have you heard? Um, we're getting a new brewery uh, on, on Coxville. I go, oh, yeah, no, Bim's opening a, a brewery. She's like, oh, you know him? I was like, well, I don't know him well, but I know who he is. Like, we, we run in the same circles. And she was like, oh, Allie, we're just, you know, gonna put everything into this we gotta we gotta get him open as as soon as possible <laughs> i was like oh could you imagine if every potential brewer had a city councillor whose point of view was we need to put as much effort into this we need to get this person open as soon as possible like uh, she's a real treat 
she's oh, she's a she's special amazing. lady. Yeah. Yeah. Also, not part of our marketing scheme tonight. No, no funds coming in from the. I was gonna say reelect Mary Margaret McMahon. She isn't running because she believes in two term term limits. So she's stepping down after this. But bless her soul. Still out there on Christmas Day. Still out there. Well, and for two and a half more years, she'll probably be at the next few. So, yep. yeah, she's awesome. Um, anything else you want to say about contract brewing? Um. Mandy, should I open a contract brewery? I've got an idea. I think I've got a really cool idea for some t-shirts. And um, I was thinking, now tell me what you think about this. Uh, a Kolsch-style beer, okay? Uh, but the branding is going to knock your socks off. And uh, I live in a municipality that doesn't actually physically have a brewery in it right now. Um, you know, I got, I got a buddy, me and him, we got some money socked away. And I'm pretty sure the bank can give me some money. Should I do it? I wish you all the luck in the world, Chris. Enjoy. Have fun. <laughs> I I truly mean that. Good luck. Good luck to you. Like it's not. It's not easy, but it's not impossible. And I wish you luck. It all. I think all of the. Uh, we will see where where it all lands in in the next couple of years. It'll be interesting to watch, watch what happens with all of the. All of the new brands coming on the scene, all of the new Twitter accounts and T-shirts and <laughs> and can wraps. Let's see where it goes. Got any events coming up? What do we have coming up? Uh, no. You know what? Not too much. We just did the Roundhouse and the Only Fest, and we have a few small events coming up at our at our own brewery, which will be fun. We're kicking off this week uh, cross stitching with Caitlin. You're laughing, but it's really fun. Uh, I'm I'm only <laughs> laughing because of how much I like the idea of people cross stitching in the brewery. My wife Erica, she uh, she fancies a bit of cross stitching, but do- doesn't get any time to do it. I almost feel like I should stop this podcast, take her her cross stitching down, and be like, "Babe, why don't you cross stitch for a little while? I'll do some calligraphy." There you go. Uh, so yeah, just little things like that. There's not there's not any big great giant bashes coming up over the next little while. Um, we just at ourselves, we have some own, some of our own beer launches to look forward to. We have something pretty fun coming for Valentine's Day. And you're having the anniversary month. You should mention this. I've, I've read this in the blog. You've got the anniversary month because February encompasses sort of three pivotal uh, anniversary yearly markered dates. For yeah, you that's guys, right. right. So February 5th of last year, we brewed our first batch at, Wag, at 36 Wagstaff. So just last week marked the one year to the day anniversary of that. So that was pretty, pretty wonderful. Um, what else do we have? So in February of 2013, on February 14th, actually. Valentine's we, Day, in case you're forgetting. Yeah, we brewed our first batch of beer at Grand River Brewery as a contract brewery. And uh, that was an EFIS? It was, that's right. So we should call February 14th as EFIS Day. EFIS Day. Doesn't sound quite as romantic. Um, I think if you hadn't been programmed to think Valentine's Day was romantic, you would think, why do I care about some guy named Valentine? <laughs> and Ephus is, is red, like red, the the branding for Ephus. So there you go. It's Valentine's beer. It's and then uh, and it's black, like the coldness of your poor, desperate heart on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we also took over the our lease in February of uh, 2014. And so it seems like every year in February, there's... Uh, something really important that's happened with Left Field. So it marks our anniversary month. And so to celebrate this uh, this month, we'll be launching two new beers. So on, 
on oh god i don't even have the date the date in front of me it's the 25th which is the thursday at noon we'll be releasing a a stronger saison that's dry hopped with nelson soma i won't even be in the country how am i gonna be on the bottling line when it's getting packaged if i'm not even gonna be in the country this is unacceptable. I demand well, you to reschedule. I'm gonna, I leave I'm gonna on the ask 20th. You to pause, it needs to happen before that. Pause and think for a moment. How yes. many bright tanks do we have? Hmm. Interesting point. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll just let my spidey senses guide me. <laughs> there you go. Um, or I'll just ask Mark. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. So uh, on noon on the 25th, we'll be launching two new beers. So we have the, the Saison, Dry Hopped with Nelson Silva. Oh, uh, and Nelson, my gosh. Yeah. What a great hop. Pretty special. We don't have a lot of it, so we used it in a special way. And then um, we're also launching another sour beer on that day. A Berliner Weiss, I understand, right? Yes. And we may or may not be including syrup. We'll see. And I can't tell you how happy, how initially disappointed and then subsequently very happy I was when I read a little post, I think on your Facebook or blog or something announcing something about growlers and i went no <laughs> come on after all this and then i read and it was like ah, 750 milliliter swing tops motherfuckers <laughs> so you know that i you know i hate growlers i've ranted i know about, that's why i was so disappointed <laughs> i've ranted about this before but that the 750 swing top is our growler period Perfect. that's the yeah. left field growler and uh, you cannot fill them from the taps. Nope. Nor should you. They're pre-filled in the fridge. They're filled behind the scenes um, properly. That said, I do know places that do fill growlers. They won't refill your growler. They'll give you a freshie. But, right. uh, but yeah, if you're filling them in the brewery, you got to get a, a pretty good uh, purge on that. You, that. That's probably not even growler territory anymore. You don't need to drink that in two to three days. That's probably going to stand for at least a week or two, right? Well, we're recommending five days. Uh, it'll, point. it'll be fine for a week or two, but it's really going to taste best within the first five days. So on these ones, and I, I hear people in the beer community calling for this all the time, and not, not a lot of people label this way, but on the growler specifically, we're including best before dates. Best before, as opposed to yeah. when the seal got thrown? Uh-huh. Yep. Huh. Yeah. So best Fair before, uh, based on the... Well, when it's a 750, so when you open it, you should drink the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, if you it's can't not drink a 750 in a night... It's not meant to be resealed. So it, <sighs> our little growler solution kind of... It helps overcome some of those big, big issues that you know I have with growlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's just that's just what you we're doing. Really, yeah, you really have to put effort into that up and and drinking an, an old one of those and i'm sure some people will but uh I, I feel like we've done everything in our power to try and make that quality experience as as good as possible really the reason we did it was because a people did not like for the past year i we get asked every single day about growlers so this is this is as far as we're willing to go with them and this is what we're willing to do and then b we have way too many beers that are on our available on our taps and not in our fridge. So you'll come into the brewery at any given time and it's like, oh, you've only got Ephus. Okay, I'll come back in a week when you have something else. Like, I, I really don't like seeing people walk away because we don't have the variety. And so the Growlers is going to help us create variety in the fridge mm-hmm. and also sort of give a semi-Growler solution to the people who really love them. 
I, I think you must know that for the vast majority of people asking for growlers, it's not a solution. They just want the attractive, old-timey-looking jug that they can maybe put in, like, a leather strap on their handcrafted artisanal bronze uh, mount on the back of their fixie and <laughs> cycle down this... It's so infuriatingly stupid. But anyway, I digress. I don't know. I think people have been fairly. I think people have been fairly satisfied. Really, quite honestly, the reason we get asked about growlers so often is because people will come in and they'll see that we have five or six beers available on on top, and we only have one or two in the fridge. And they're like, "Oh, I wish I could take this home with me." And so now we we're offering that as a solution. So the growlers will be pre-filled by. I don't know. We're just sort of making this stuff up as we go, but it'll be like Thursdays in the fridge. Um, and we'll have them through the weekend. And so it's it's actually a significant amount of work to get those things bottled in, in the fridge every week. Yeah, um, it's a it's completely a, different bottling line that you guys use because you, you don't right. bottle. You, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, that that's a thing. I'm eating my words because I said never, ever, ever growlers. Um, and some would probably say these are not growlers, but. Yeah, for, I would say take comfort. Those aren't actually growlers. But I get what you're doing, and I like the idea with freshness and stuff like that. Good stuff. Good. Um, what else do anything you Anything else? No, Nothing? not for me. What do you have going on the next few weeks? Nothing. We're going to Florida in two weeks. We're away for Family Day weekend. We're going to have to take a serious, long, hard look about when we're recording this. I might have to take a USB mic and a laptop to Florida. I don't know. we got to see. But... Uh, other than that, I got I got nothing serious beer related coming down the pipe. Got a couple of videos shot that are all getting edited, but nothing new coming up, and I got nothing. It's it's, it's kind of nice in a way. That sounds lovely. Yeah, it's good good times. So uh, that's it. We won't see you at events because there aren't any coming up, at least that we know of. Uh, aside from cross-stitching, you might see Mandy at the Left Field Brewery, but there's no festivals, there's no big deals coming up, and sometimes that's nice, have a little break. So, uh, we're recording on uh, Chinese New Year, so uh, a belated gung hei choi to any celebrants. Uh, happy Family Day, happy Valentine's Day. I think that's it for February. Oh, happy Ash Wednesday, that's two days away so uh oh happy yukon heritage day happy yukon heritage day if there is a listener in the yukon you fire us an old message on whatever medium you prefer and uh you tell us something you want us to shout out and we will 100 percent do that for you but we will require some sort of proof uh that you live in the yukon like a tax return possibly with your northern uh tax exemption on it or something like that so because i'm not giving this to some guy in etobicoke but if you live in the yukon you you tell us and 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 for you happy yukon day <laughs> it's a terrible out but uh we'll leave it there uh maybe not in two weeks but we'll talk to you soon toronto thanks for listening <laughs>